Let's pray together as we jump into God's Word. Jesus, thank you so much that you have gathered us together, that we're able to sing to you and remember what you've done for us, that we are a forgiven people because of your grace extended to us, and we're so grateful for that. Lord, we're going to do what Christians have done for the last 2,000 years. We're going to take your Word, your Scripture, and we're going to study it, and we pray that you would take your Word that you promise never returns void, and you would do something significant and special in our hearts this morning. And by your grace, in a way that only you can do, that a couple of moments when we leave here, that we will be different because we met with you. And so, Lord, take your word. We're going we're gonna to sit humbly at your feet and let you teach us today. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. It's good to, good to see you this morning. Some of you have been praying for me, and you've sent emails and written cards saying, hey, praying for your family, praying for your kids, your daughters as they get integrated into life here. So I want to give you an update on how that's going. Kenton and Lori have been very good to Kay and me in helping us onboard our kids. And so if you're new here, if this is your first time, I am the new senior pastor here. Kenton, the former senior pastor, is now pastor emeritus. He's still going to be teaching on a regular basis, and they've been great to us as we've onboarded. Kenton told us, the former senior pastor told us, listen, do whatever you can to make your kids feel like this is their church. And so my daughters wanted to go swimming in the baptismal, and and because Kenton said, (laughs) because Kenton said, do whatever you need to do, hope it's okay. They went swimming in the baptismal. And then they, they said, Daddy, can we swim across the pond? I was like, absolutely. I'll pay you five bucks each if you make it across the pond. <laughs> and they've made it. They made it across the pond. So this is now their area, okay? They've made this church theirs. And thanks for, yes, thank you. Thanks for being gracious to us in that. And some of you said some really encouraging things. I think some of you were trying to be encouraging. When you said things like this, wow, whoo, the pressure you must be feeling (laughs) following a legend in Kenton. Going to be praying for you. Thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you. Or, or, um, hey, you know, you only got a couple shots to win me because Kenton's the only one I like to listen to. Thank you for your prayers. You're so kind. Really, really grateful for you. But today, I am excited to be in Joshua chapter 24. If you have your Bible, we are ending this series, The Promised Life, today. And these are with the last words that Joshua gave God's people. And so if you're joining us for the first time in this series, just a really fast recap. God's people had been promised this promised land 400 years before they moved into it. God miraculously moved them into the land. And they learned about God's favor and faithfulness to keep his promises as they moved into the land. God always delivers on his promises in his timing, not our timing, but he always delivers. And now Joshua, in Joshua chapter 24, is an old man. This is his, his final speech. These are his, his very last words. And in, in this, we're going to see that there are, these words mean a lot to us as well. These words they aren't just for the people that lived in the promised land. They also, they're for you. And if you're a Christian, you have the promised life. God has given you a life of freedom, an abundant life according to the Scripture, a life of forgiveness. And these words that Joshua gave the people in Joshua 24 for the promised land are the same exact words that we need for 
the promised life. And this passage that we're going to read today, it's actually a passage that the Lord used to get me here, to leave my other life and come here. And here's why. As I was praying through whether to take this role as senior pastor of Mariners, I had friends and and good friends, godly friends, who said things like, man, are you sure you want to do that? Are you sure you want to leave a culture you built, a team you built, and go and steward somebody else's team and somebody else's culture? And some of you entrepreneurs, you get that. Some of you entrepreneurs, you've been invited to sell the thing you started, and you'd work for somebody else, and you thought, nah, this is my culture. I built this culture. I like waking up every morning to a culture that I built that I'm responsible for. And so I wrestled with leaving something that I believed I built and shaped and then coming to a place that I didn't, at least not yet, haven't built and shaped. And God used this passage to show me, Eric, ultimately everything you have, everything you have is only because I've given it. You haven't really built anything. I'm the one who's built everything. And coming to Mariners has been a reminder that I am living the fruit of not only Kenton and Lori, but many of your labor and faithfulness and serving and giving for for decades. My kids this morning are being discipled and ministered to and served in a great healthy church that I didn't build, that you built. And so I want to say to you, thank you. Thank you for letting me enjoy the fruit that you have been a part of Building, And you're going to see how this passage really got my heart there. So here we are, Joshua chapter 24, verse 14, I mean, verse 13. This is his last words. He's about to die. And he tells the people this. These are his final words. And he's going to quote the Lord, and then he's going to give a challenge. And so verse 13, Joshua quotes the Lord and says this. This is God speaking to the people. I gave you land you had not worked on. And I gave you towns you did not build, the towns you are now living. I gave you vineyards and olive groves for food, though you did not plant them. Now put yourself in the shoes of these people. Joshua is pointing to buildings and houses and vineyards and trees, and he's saying all this stuff you enjoy, all of it, you didn't plant it and you didn't build it. The Lord gave it to all of you. You only have what you have received. You didn't achieve or earn any of this. God just graciously gave it to you. Some of you have looked at me and thought, man, I don't know. I don't know about this new guy. I don't know about this new cat. I don't know about this guy. I don't, I don't you know what? He, he doesn't deserve to be the senior pastor of Mariners. You're absolutely right. I don't deserve to be the senior pastor of Mariners. I don't deserve to have the wife that I have, the daughters that I have. I don't even deserve to be a Christian. Everything I have is only by God's grace. And everything you have, everything you have is only by his grace to you. And that is what Joshua is reminding the people of. Everything here, these trees, these buildings, Everything is only by the gracious hand of our God. And then now we're going to get to verse 14 and 15. Now, if you've grown up in church or even come to church just for a couple of times, you might have even heard these verses before. They're famous. These next verses are famous verses. And they're the verses where Joshua is going to say, hey, choose who you're going to serve. Serve God only. Don't serve the little G gods of our culture. Only serve God. But before we read verse 14 and 15, we've got to remember verse 13, because the command for you to only worship God 
is rooted in God's commitment to always love you. The precept to serve the Lord only is rooted in God's promise to love you no matter what. The invitation for you to worship God and serve God is grounded in the reality of God's initiative that he came here first and loved you first. And so now we get to verse 14 and 15. So look at verse 14. Verse 14 actually begins with the word so. If you have a pen, you may want to circle the word so. It's really important to understand if you're going to get verse 14 and 15, you have to get that it is because of verse 13. So, because of verse 13, fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates, or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. This farewell address, these last words from Joshua, it's really different than any other farewell address you'll ever read. In prep for this message, I looked at other famous farewell addresses. So you could look at Michael Jordan's Hall of Fame speech. It's different. It's just different than this one. In Jordan's Hall of Fame speech, he focused on his competitors and people that fueled his competitive fire. He started with a guy he, he went against in 10th grade and ended with Byron Russell. I mean, he basically just threaded through, and Joshua doesn't do that. He doesn't focus on the outsiders. When Jeff Emlett left GE recently, Emlett gave, hey, here's 10 lessons. Here's 10 lessons for you. My legacy is to give you 10 lessons. That's not Joshua. That's not how he plays it. He doesn't give lessons. He reminds people of God's faithfulness. When Bill Gates gave his farewell address to Microsoft, he focused on values and values that will endure. That's not what Joshua does. Joshua doesn't say, hey, here's what we did awesome, and let's keep doing these awesome things. Joshua says, we didn't do anything. God did it all. God did it all for us. When politicians leave office, they often, no matter which party they're in, they give a list of the accomplishments during their tenure, during their time in office. Joshua doesn't do this either. And this is why it's important to understand, because our faith, the faith that we have received, is so different from anything else in the world. It's so different. And Joshua's words to us about how to live in the promised land, it, it, it's the same for us in the promised life. So here they are. There's three things I want to point out, and they come from verse 13, from verse 14, and from verse 15. So verse 13, here's number one. If we're going to live in this promised life, we need to remember that you have received, not achieved. The Christian faith is a receiving faith. It's not an achieving faith. If you're a Christian, your faith is a receiving faith. It's, it's a faith that we receive, we receive his forgiveness. We receive his mercy. We receive his compassion. We receive his grace. We don't achieve those things. Our faith is a receiving faith. In fact, I want to show you this. If you look back into the 12 verses before verse 13 in Joshua chapter 24, you'll see 
scholars have pointed this out, you'll notice 22 times in just 12 verses, God says, I did this, I did this, I did this, I did all of this for you. In fact, let me give you some examples. Look with me in verse 2 and 3 of Joshua chapter 24. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham, worshipped other gods. So God is saying, hey, here's what you did. You worshipped other gods. That's what you did. But look what I did for you because I love you and because I'm a good and gracious God. I took your ancestor Abraham and I led him into the land of Canaan. And so God says, I'm the one who adopted Abraham into my family. I'm the one who started this. I'm the father who adopted him, and I'm the shepherd who led him. And the same is true for you. God in his mercy and in his compassion has set his love on you, not because anything you've done, but just because he is loving. And he's adopted you into his family if you're his. He's made you his son or his daughter. And he now shepherds you and leads you. He's the one who does the work for us. Look at verse 3 and 4. I multiplied his descendants. I gave Jacob and Esau. And so God had made the promise to Abraham that he would build the family. And God says, I'm the one who pulled it off. I pulled it off. Not Abraham. I pulled it off. I multiplied descendants and I gave. And God gives to you as well. Everything you have from the clothes you're wearing to the car you showed up at church in to wherever you're going after this, God gave it to you. He's generous and he's good to you. Verse 5, I sent Moses. I defeated Egypt. I'm the one who did it, God says. You, you didn't elect Moses. I sent Moses. And you didn't bow up against the Egyptians who had enslaved you. I'm the one who defeated Egypt. I've done all the work for you. I'm the savior. I'm the rescuer. I de defend you against your enemies. I defeat your enemies for you. And God's done the same for you. If you're his, if you're a Christian, he has defeated your enemy of sin. He's defeated your enemy of shame. They no longer have a hold on you because God's forgiveness, the blood of Jesus Christ covers all of your sin. He's defeated your enemies. He continues. Look in verse 6 and 7. I brought you out of Egypt. You, you didn't bring yourself out of Egypt. Did you bring yourself out of Egypt? No, I brought you out of Egypt, and I brought the sea over them. So I did both. I brought you out, and I brought the sea over them. Look at verse 8. I brought you to the land. This land you have that you're living under, these trees, these buildings, I'm the one who brought it to you. And then look at verse 10. I rescued you. I'm the one who rescued you. And God has done the exact same for us. He has set his love on us. He has adopted us. He has led us and shepherded us and been generous to us and cared for us and provided for us. He is the one who does the work for us. Our faith is a receiving faith. It's not an achieving faith. And this is both beautiful and offensive. For some of you, this is beautiful. It's beautiful for me. Because I've made an absolute mess of my life so many times. And to know that I don't have to be good enough, that he loves me in the midst of my brokenness, oh, thank you, Jesus, this is beautiful. But it's offensive for some. The Christian faith is offensive for those 
who like to think you've earned it. This is what makes the Christian faith so different from the world, because maybe you think, I've earned everything. Look at my portfolio, boom, I did that. Look at my career path, boom, I did that. Look at everything I've acquired and achieved, I've done that. I've been able to do things and achieve things and earn things. And the cross tells you, you can't earn God. You can't achieve him. You can only admit your brokenness and receive him. And this is what makes the Christian faith, it's both beautiful and offensive. C.S. Lewis famous author and theologian, he said, we have a difficult time receiving unconditional love because anytime we find out that someone loves us, we want to know what we've done to earn their love. Maybe you remember the first time someone told you, other than your parents, that they loved you. There was a girl in 10th grade. Baby, I don't remember her name at all. My wife, it's my wife right there. Um, it wasn't her, it was another girl, but I don't even remember that girl's name. But she told me in 10th grade that she loved me and I wanted to know uh, what, what I've done. What have I done? Tell me why. Why, have you lo- why do you love me? Am I, you think I'm the best looking guy in this class, right? Or I'm, I'm the most funny, or I, I make you feel better than everybody else. Or you, what is it? What, what is it about me that you like? I want to know what I've done to earn this favor, to earn this love. See, God loves you not because you're lovable. He loves you because he's love. He loves you not because anything you've done. He's not looking at your life and saying, oh man, that's so awesome. He's looking at you and saying, I am love and no matter what you've done, I love you. I love you right where you are. That's, that's God's love towards us. And this is what makes the Christian faith so different from everything else. The universal symbol of our faith, of the Christian faith, is a cross. It's not a ladder. And so if you came to Mariners today, which obviously you did, you're here, except if you're watching online, you'll notice there's a cross on the side of our worship center. It's the symbol of the Christian faith. And here's what a cross says to us. We could not achieve. We couldn't climb our way to God. So God came here to rescue us. We didn't earn our way to him. See, a ladder would say, climb, try harder, earn it, earn it, work your way, keep trying. You can do it. You can do it. And sadly, that is what some people think church is, is that there's going to be a guy up on stage yelling at you to work harder and work harder, but that's not the Christian faith at all. The Christian faith is not us climbing to God. It is God came here for us and put himself on a cross in our place for our sin to take away all our sin from us, and we just receive his forgiveness, and we receive his love. That's the message of the faith, which, which again, is so, it's so different from everything else. Two uh, New Year's days ago, us preachers, we can do some weird things. I was, some of you marathon through and watch tons of football, and I tried. I was watching football, and I was reading, but I decided I was going to uh, get on the computer on this website because I was reading this book about different world religions. And this author was talking about the Muslim faith, the Islamic faith, and, and he had said some things about the five pillars. In the Muslim faith, there's five pillars, five things you must do to attain salvation, things you must do to earn, to climb, to attain salvation. 
So I wanted to be sure that this Christian author, that what he was saying about the Muslim faith is what a Muslim would say about his or her faith. So I got on this Islamic website and a chat button popped up and this very kind and generous man named Ahmad started to interact with me. And this is, this is how the chat went. He said, how can I assist you today? My name is Ahmad. And I said, hi, Ahmad. Are the five pillars, so these five things you must do, are the five pillars necessary for one to receive forgiveness? He says, they are necessary for every Muslim to perform. I said, thank you. I appreciate the clarity. He said, you're most welcome. And then next I said, without them, does one not receive forgiveness? I'm not a Muslim. And I'm just reading about the Muslim faith. Ahmad says, the five pillars are what Islam is based upon, and they are the things that a Muslim must do. And yes, without them, there is no salvation. So here's what I I said back to Ahmad. I just wanted to clarify. The Christian faith has similar things that Christians are to do. And we do many of those same things. We pray, we read the scripture, we get together, we gather But they are positioned as what a Christian does because salvation has already been given. Not in order to attain. So in the Muslim faith, these are part of attaining salvation, correct? And he says, yes. See, this is why the Christian faith is so different. I hope today you got here, you came here, and you aren't thinking, I'm I'm showing up at Mariners today to climb the ladder. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sing really loud today. And if I sing loud enough today, then maybe God will love me. If I lift my hands high enough today, then maybe God will be pleased with me. If I, if I give enough money today, then maybe God will finally show favor towards me. If I do these things for God, then maybe God will love me. That, that's not the message of the Christian faith. See, we gather not to earn God's love, not to flag him down with our goodness, but we gather and we rejoice over the reality that we already are loved. We gather not under a ladder, but under a cross. And so we do some of those same things, but we do those things not so that we will be approved by God, but we do those things because we already are approved by God through what Christ has done for us on the cross. Two weeks ago, I had a conversation with a lady here at Mariners who a year ago became a Christian out of the Buddhist tradition. And so it was an amazing conversation, so exciting to see what the Lord has done in her life over the last year. And we talked about the difference between the Christian faith and the Buddhist faith. And Buddha's dying words, the founder of the Buddhist faith, Buddha's dying words were this. His last words, his dying words, his final words were, strive without ceasing. In Buddhism, there's four phases of enlightenment. You go through each phase. And so Buddha was saying, keep, keep trying, strive, strive, strive without ceasing. And in the Christian faith, we have Jesus' final words for us on the cross. On the cross, he doesn't yell out, keep trying, strive without ceasing, but he yells out, it is finished. Because in the cross, Jesus secures our salvation. Our faith is not An earning faith, it is a receiving faith. It's a receiving faith. And so this is so important for you to understand 
Because we have a tendency, I have a tendency to drift away from this. This is why before verse 14, 22 times God says, I did this, I did this, I did this, I did this, I did this. Look at those trees, you didn't plant them. Look at those buildings, you didn't build them. I did this, I did this, I did all of this for you. Then he says, now worship me. See, see, some of you have thought, gosh, God keeps yelling at me to worship him. And he keeps saying to serve him only, serve him only. But when you read the scripture, you see it's really the opposite. It's God, I did all of this for you. I did all of this for you. And after I did all of this for you, of course, wouldn't you worship me for all I've done for you? And because all that I did for you, you aren't going to be satisfied in anything else anyway. And that brings us to point number two. That was a really long point number one. Point number two. It's going to be a lot faster, all right? So press in. Here's point number two. Renew your affection for God, not the gods. Renew your affection for God, not not the gods. So there's the one true God that we worship and that Joshua is pleading with the people to set your affection on him. And then there's the little g gods of our culture. In this day, there were idols throughout the land. And in our day, there's still idols. It could be good things even. It could be my spouse, my career, my hopes, my dreams. It could be things that are destructive in my life. It could be habitual sin. It could be anything that I put above God. And so Joshua says this in verse 14, so fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshiped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt, serve the Lord alone. So these little G gods, they compete for your attention and your affection with the one true God. These little G gods want to take your affection away from giving it to the Lord and give it to lesser things. See, if you worship something other than God, you're always settling for something less than God. If you honor something other than the Lord, you're always settling for something less than him, something that won't quench and something that won't satisfy. And so how do we we stop this competing affections? We have this. We have this. I I have this. I want to love the Lord, but I struggle with loving things of this world. I want to love him more, but I struggle with the little G gods in my life. I struggle. You know what it's like to have competing passions. All of us have competing passions, passions that fight with each other. For example, some of you may be big into fitness, and you may this morning count your macros and look at your protein intake, one ounce per pound, and you may go to Orange Theory Fitness or CrossFit or Beach Body On Demand. You may love and be passionate for fitness and really like sidecar Donuts <laughs> or sprinkles cupcakes that are amazing. You've all introduced me to this in the last four weeks. This has been hard. <laughs> or a chocolate-covered Balboa banana. I mean, that's just amazing. So you have this passion for fitness and this passion for other, th- for other things that are not fitness. Which one wins? Which one wins? And so I've got this desire to serve the Lord, but there are these other things. Which one wins? How do we overcome our longing for things that are less than God because they won't quench us and they won't satisfy us? The best writing I've ever seen on the subject 
Every now and then I'm going to introduce you to someone uh, who's like an old dead theologian who still impacts our thinking today as Christians. And this guy's name was Thomas Chalmers. He was a Scottish pastor in the 1800s. He has one sermon that is still read today. He was like a one-hit wonder of preachers. He was the Milli Vanilli of preachers. He had one just incredible sermon called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. And in this sermon, this is what he said. Notice I'm going to have it on the screens for you. Chalmers, this is such, such wisdom. He said, the love of the world cannot be expunged by a mere demonstration of the world's worthlessness. What he's saying is you can't stop yourself from loving the world by telling yourself, stop doing bad things. Stop doing that. Stop doing that. You're not going to be able to convince yourself to love those little G gods less, even though you know that they're not as worthy as God. You're not going to be able to do it. And sometimes people will say to me as a pastor, Eric, I don't think you call out stuff enough and like say, this is bad and this is bad and this is bad. Well, here's why. Because I don't think it really works on your heart anyway. What works on your heart is not when you understand that things are bad, it's when you understand how beautiful and awesome Jesus is. And when you look and you see how beautiful and awesome Jesus is, your heart's affection is drawn to that. That's what Chalmers says next. But may it not be supplanted by the love of that which is more worthy than itself. And so if you will look to the one true God and see how awesome he is, the things of this world, they don't look near as good anymore. If you will eat an In-N-Out hamburger, a Whopper at Burger King is not near as good anymore. <laughs> One's better. If you'll go to Roos Chris and get a prime filet mignon on a 500-degree plate, the horse trough at Golden Corral doesn't taste <laughs> near as good anymore. It, it, it doesn't. It doesn't satisfy as much. If you'll spend the night at the Ritz-Carlton on your anniversary, the Best Western, the next anniversary, is not going to be as nice. If you spend Christmas, which I'm so looking forward to do, in Orange County, Christmas in Wisconsin isn't going to measure up. And if you taste and see that the Lord is good, the things of this world, they don't taste as good, they don't quench, and they don't satisfy. So the Lord is saying, look at all I've done, put your affections towards me, I'm the only one who can ultimately quench you. Now, this brings us to number three. Recommit continually, not once. See, see some of you have, have perhaps thought that the Christian life is, I become a Christian, I commit to Christ one time, and then I'm, I'm set. But really, when you read the scripture, the picture of the Christian life is, yes, you receive his forgiveness and you become his, but you constantly commit to him over and over and over again. My father-in-law, Mr. Billy, I was watching um, football with him one afternoon, and Miss Martha, my mother-in-law, so Kay's dad and Kay's mom, Miss Martha walks in, sits on the couch next to Mr. Billy and says, Billy, why don't you ever tell me you love me anymore? I, I'm thinking, this is, this is going to be interesting. <laughs> B Billy, uh, Mr. Billy says, uh, I told you I loved you when I married you 50 years ago, and if I ever change my mind, I'll let you know. <laughs> Now, he was joking. He was joking. They had a healthy marriage. They had a healthy marriage. He was joking. But sadly, some of us, 
that's how we view the Christian life. Well, I became a Christian years ago. I committed my life to Christ years ago. But that's not what Joshua says here. Look with me in verse 15. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates, or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? Um, By the way, he's not saying choose between God and the little g gods. That's not what he's saying. He's saying if you don't worship God, verse 14, you're going to have to choose which little g gods you're going to worship because you always worship something at all times. Every one of us in here, we all have that in common. There's something you're pursuing. There's something you're honoring. There's someone you're worshiping. And so Joshua says, verse 14, worship the Lord only, verse 15. But if not the Lord, you're going to have to choose something else that you're going to worship because you all worship. And then verse 15, at the end of it, he says, as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. And in the original language, that tense there, it is, we're going to keep serving the Lord. Every day, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to serve Him. But He's saying, all of us at all times, we serve someone or something. And Joshua's not the only person who said this. Artists throughout in our culture have said over and over again, all of us worship and we pursue something. Bob Dylan, for example, he said this in his song, Got to Serve Somebody. You may be an ambassador to England or France. You may like to gamble. You might like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with a a long string of pearls. But you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, you are. You're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil. It may be the Lord. But you're going to have to serve somebody. More recently, Kendrick Lamar, he said this in his song, Loyalty. I'm going to read this to you instead of rapping it to you, if that's okay. (laughs) By the way, Pulitzer Prize winner, Kendrick Lamar says, tell me who you're loyal to. Is it money? Is it fame? Is it weed? Is it drink? Is it coming down with the loud pipes in the rain? Big chilling only for the power in your name. Tell me who you're loyal to. Is it love for the streets when the lights get dark? Is it unconditional when the Rory don't start? Tell me when your loyalty is coming from the heart. Bob Dylan and Kendrick Lamar are exactly right. You're going to serve and be loyal to and pursue something or someone at all times. But only one, only one will quench you and satisfy you. See, here's the difference between God and everything else. See, In-N-Out Burger and uh, Burger King Burger, they're both created things, or fitness and Sidecar donuts are both created things. Both are good things, but they're both created things. There's only one who is not created, and that is our Lord who is above all and beyond all. And because he's above all and beyond all, he can satisfy above all. Above all he can. He can quench and he can deliver. And so that's why we are foolish. I am foolish to worship anything else other than him. And in all he's done for us, all he's done for us, oh, the grace he has given us that we have received and not achieved. Do you need to recommit to him today? If you're a Christian, maybe you've been a Christian for two months or two years or 20 years Every day he invites us to take up our cross and follow. He doesn't ask you to take up your ladder and follow. 
He doesn't say, come on, try harder, try harder. The Christian life is not about you trying. It's about you trusting and receiving. But you come back to him over and over again because of what he's done for you. But some of you this morning, today's the day for you for the very first time to receive his forgiveness. We've been in this Promise Life series for six weeks. And, and here was our thesis. Here was the big idea that we were pressing in. Hey, God gave land to a people, but he wants to give a life to you. A life that is full of joy and abundance and peace. He, went, he wants to give you life that's everlasting. And for you to receive this life, you simply say thank you. So people have asked me many times, what do I need to do to become a Christian? Well, what's it mean to become a Christian? Here's how you become a Christian. You simply say this. It's really simple. You say, thank you and yes. Thank you. Thank you. I will receive your forgiveness. Thank you. I receive what you did for me on the cross, that you put yourself on that cross. Though you didn't deserve to die, you died for me so that my sin wouldn't be on me, but my sin would be put on you. See, on the cross, here's what Jesus did. He takes your sin and he puts it on himself, and he takes all of his perfection and he puts it on you which this is crazy to me. This is what the scripture teaches. I mean, I I have to believe this by faith because it is unfathomable. It is scandalous. It is beautiful that on the cross, all my sin gets put on Jesus and all of his perfection, the scripture says, gets put on me. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, one of my favorite verses, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for you so that in him you might become the righteousness of God. That verse means that on the cross, all of your sin got thrown on Jesus and all of Jesus' perfection got thrown on you. So God actually looks at me as if I'm perfect, even though I'm far from perfect, but he looks at me as perfect because he doesn't see my sin anymore. My sin's gone, it's on Jesus, and he only sees the perfection and the righteousness of Jesus on me. That's what happened on the cross. That's what happened. And listen, it can happen, it can happen for you today too. Not by you fixing things, not by you seeking to earn and achieve, but simply by you receiving. Some of you thought, man, um, Eric, you don't know how, how messed up I am. You don't know all the stuff I have in my past. There's secrets I'm carrying that no one even knows about. God knows you more than anyone else knows you, and he loves you more than anyone else loves you. He sees you right where you are, and he loves you right where you are, and he wants you to be his. He wants to forgive you. He wants to take away your sin. Some of you are thinking, man, I I want this, I want this, but let me go fix some things in my life first. I, I I need to go get some things right. I need to go fix some stuff. that's not how you come to God. I know some people do this, which is crazy to me. Some people actually clean their house before the housekeeper comes. (laughs) Makes no sense, but Jesus doesn't want you to try to clean your house. He just wants to show up and clean your house for you and forgive you of all your sin. He just wants to do it. Now, I know what some of you are thinking, because this is how I was before I became a Christian. This is my senior year in high school. I shared this with the high school students last year. 
going into my senior year in high school, the Lord was making it clear. This, he, was, he was drawing me to himself. It was in moments like this. I was, wow, he loves me this much. Wow, he wants to take away all my junk. And I was about to be 18 in New Orleans, senior year in high school. Uh, my buddies and I had talked about that year for years, about what we were going to do in New Orleans, senior year. We had fake IDs before, but now we didn't even need fake IDs. We're 18 in New Orleans. And so here I am, and I, and I want Jesus. I want to be brand new. I want to be forgiven. But man, I, gosh, I got to give up everything. If I become a Christian, I know he'll change me, and I won't even want to do some of this stuff anymore. But I love this stuff. I'm having fun with some of this stuff. I have to give up everything to follow Jesus. And here's what I found. This is what I told the students last week. Everything that I thought was everything, when I tasted and saw that the Lord is good, everything is really nothing compared to how awesome Jesus is. Everything is nothing compared to how great he is. So if you're wrestling with, man, I'm going to give this. Listen, Jesus is better. Jesus is better. He's better. Does he love me? He loves you right where you are. Does he want? Listen, he came here and put himself on a cross. He wants to forgive you more than you want to be forgiven. He wants to take away all your sin. It's why he died. It's why we have a cross hanging on the side of our worship center. It's why I'm not, I'm not yelling at you to climb a ladder. I'm just announcing the good news that Jesus came here and did all the work for you. If you aren't above it and just will receive it. If we receive it. And so today, this morning, here's what we're going to do. We do this at Mariners, not, not every week, but every five, six, seven weeks. is the first time I, I, I'm able to lead this time. I sat up in that section when I was praying about coming here and saw it one weekend and just was in awe of seeing people stand up and say, I, I believe, I believe in Jesus, and I receive. So when you will stand up and say, I believe, I believe in him. Here's what we believe. That when you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, this is Romans 10, 9, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, rescued. And so this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to stand up and say that you believe. This is a big ask. There's a lot of people in this room. When I got married to my wife 22 years ago, there was a lot of people in the room. And I wanted people to watch it happen, the marriage ceremony happen, because I knew this marriage ceremony was gonna impact my whole life. And you believing in Jesus is going to impact everything about you. It's gonna impact your whole life, it's a big deal. And so we wanna invite you to publicly say in front of other people, I'm in, I believe. And so in the stillness of this moment, in the quietness of this moment, if you are ready to receive his forgiveness and say that you believe, you simply stand and say, I believe. Let's hold our applause till the end because I want to be able to hear each person. Amen. Awesome. Amen. Amen. Awesome. It's great. Great. Awesome, man. Amen. Amen.
Amen. Amen. Amen. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Yes. Amen. Amen. All right, man. Amen. That's right. So good. Amen. 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 It's good. That's awesome. That's right. Amen. That's right, you do. Amen. It's awesome. Amen. Yes. Mm. Amen. Okay. That's right. All right. Amen. Awesome. Amen. Thank you. Amen. It's awesome. Amen. Does everybody realize that this is a sacred moment? As Christians, we believe when we confess to him that we believe that we go from being blind to now seen, from being dead to being alive. This is sacred. Anybody else? Amen. That's right. Good. Amen. Awesome. Amen. Amen. Awesome. That's good. We have some people that would love to pray with you. And so I'm going to ask our elders and staff that are going to be praying with each of you who stood and said, I believe, to come stand down front. In a moment, we're going to stand and sing. I know some of us have the tendency to bolt.
during this moment. I don't want us to do that because I want us to, to live for a moment in verse 13. Jesus, you did all of this for me. I want to sing and celebrate for everything you've done. And if you stood a moment ago and to say you believe, the group of people here, they want to pray with you. This is such an important moment. They want to pray with you to help crystallize what just happened so that, that you just don't walk out, but that they can pray with you and mark this moment. We also have um, a Bible and some information that we want to give you. So when we stand and sing, you'll simply come forward and they'll hand this to you and they'll pray with you and, that, and that'll be it. If you're sitting next to somebody who said they believe, why don't you come with them? This is a celebration moment, right? That our sins have been forgiven by what Christ has done for us. Church, are we excited for those who stood to say they believe today? Let's stand and let's sing. Let's pour out our hearts to this great God. If you said you believe, right now, right when we start singing, you come to the front. These great people want to pray with you and give you something. Let's sing together.
What a great day to be at church. What a great day. Amen. So if there's anything going on in your life that you want someone to pray with you about, we have a team of people here that would love to pray with you. So in a moment when we leave, just simply come to the front. People here and people over there by those lights would love to pray with you. If you are here today and you want someone to pray with you about healing in your life, whether that's physical or emotional, we have a team of elders that would love to pray with you. And so you would simply exit through the doors in the back and turn to the right. We have an elder prayer room, and that team would love to pray with you today. If you said, I believe, and didn't come forward, we have a table out in the, uh, what do you call it, breezeway, patio, 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 <laughs> that we would love um, to give you uh, the Bible in, that, in the patio. So simply stop by that table, that table there. Next week, the next two weeks are really special here at Mariners. We're going, going to be, um, over the next two weeks, celebrating what God is doing through this church in local missions and local outreach. Deep in the DNA of Mariners is that we aren't just a group of people that get together and sing songs in a big box, but that what happens in this room changes how we interact with our world and that we care about the poor and the marginalized, and we care about our own city and our own community. And so over the next two weeks, you'll want to be here. It's going to be special. Next week, and I'm going to be teaching from Matthew chapter 13, so I hope you'll, you'll be back for that. Why don't you lift your hands and receive God's blessing. Jesus, we are so thankful that you did not ask us to work our way to you, but you came here for us. And we are thankful that you are the God above all little G-gods. And so, Lord, I pray for your children now, your sons and daughters who have their hands extended to receive your blessing, Lord. I pray this week that you would remind them that they are approved and accepted because of what you've done. I pray they would walk in the freedom this week of knowing they are loved by you, that they've received 
and they don't need to work to achieve your grace this week. It's already been given. I pray that you would turn their affections towards you this week and that you would quench and satisfy them. May you make your face shine on them this week that they may enjoy you and your peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Have a great afternoon.